Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I'm going to continue in my current trend of touching all the wrong buttons. Two weeks ago, I was covering the Gnostic heresy and trying to think about the reality and the goodness of the body, the benefits of trying to be positive about the body you have and trying to think about it consciously, not even necessarily as a way to serve someone else, but just as a responsibility that you have of yourself, to take care of yourself. Last week, I covered class divides in American culture, particularly drawing from the work of Charles Murray and the concepts of inequality that are becoming more and more entrenched in American culture because of the way we decide to live our lives. And this week, you know, I, I wanted to do something else, but I just cannot get this out of my head. The difference between the sexes. And it's something I've, I've had some discussions with, uh, as usual. And it, there's some ideas that have been floating around in my head uh, regarding this. So I'm going to preface this entire conversation by saying, I'm not going to be dealing with all of the wonderful parts of humanity that are shared between us. Our uh, ability to think. Well, we all have the ability to think. The distribution is different between the sexes, but the ability remains. The fact that we have fingers and hands, well, that's pretty much irrelevant. That we both need to eat, that's also relatively irrelevant. All of these topics that I'm going to avoid have general similarities between the, the, the sexes, and there's a lot of them. You know, we're both human. But it is important to remember that each individual person has nuance in and of themselves, right? That the different things that a person is supposed to eat will depend on their biology. The different ways that a person will think will depend on their um, upbringing to a large extent. That's uh, something we've learned with the study of epigenetics, right? Epigenetics, uh, for those who don't know, is the idea that is the science of understanding why uh, some genes can be expressed differently in different environments. So, you know, the way you are brought up will have an effect on how your, your actual potential is realized, your biological potential. You know, if you are raised in a high-stress environment, that will actually change who you are and how, you, how your body reacts. So the, you know, epigenetics is basically the study of how the environment affects the genes, the gene expressions, um, and then affects the people we become. Uh, so, so yes, there's a certain part of that that is, that, is, that is true and very, very interesting. And each person's reaction to those stimuli will be different. But, and this is a big, a big but, the, there are general trends across cultures. There are general trends across populations. And those people who study the general trends across populations are able to make general inferences. Those general trends which hold true not simply within a, uh, across a population but across multiple populations can be, be believed with reason to hold true across the generic subsections. What I mean by that is if you have a trend that holds true of men and women in uh, Thailand— and one that holds true of men and women in Canada, and those, and we're talking about the same thing, we can start extrapolating. We can start talking about general trends, right? 
and it's obviously those two could be outliers, but if they are consistent with their own areas and those areas are consistent with one another, we can start actually drawing some conclusions. So I, want it, I also want to be very clear before I get too involved. Judging individuals and, and telling an individual what they ought not to do is a much more complicated thing than talking about general social policy. Because in order to do that, you actually have to know the person. You actually have to talk to them. You actually have to learn what they're capable of and what they, what they are best suited to do in their lives. Not everybody is going to follow the average, but the average person will. If we find that we're speaking as a whole to a population group and pushing something that is not advantageous to its average, we should, as a society, rethink the way we talk to that group. And so that's the, that's the, the background information, I suppose, for me talking about the distinctions between men and women. And I would be remiss if I did not, at this moment, go back to creation, right? I'm a Christian after all. I might as well be honest about it. I believe man and woman were created. I believe that man was created first, that God formed Adam from the dust of the ground, that man is the, the being of dirt, and woman was taken from his side. Woman was, was therefore different. She's the only creature that was taken from another living creature, and she's given a special position by Adam. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be, shall be called woman because she was taken out of man, right? Her name isn't Eve, it's, it's woman. Um, and, and there's this beautiful harmony. He, he just breaks forth in song, and, and they live in a, a decent harmony, at least, uh, until the fall. But then this is where the next moment of, of distinction that I will cover comes in with the curses that they each receive, right? To the woman, it is pain in childbirth, and then also tied in uh, secondarily, or in addition to that, that, that her desire shall be for her husband and he shall rule over her. And what is it given to Adam? Adam is given to toil for the rest of his life and then die, right? So by the sweat of your brow, you shall eat bread. Um, and also that the, the earth is not going to be happy with him. You know, that thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. So you'll keep fighting and it will, it will resist you. I'm going to take this now into a modern context because that's, that's easy and, and fair warning, I'm a layman, all right? So the thing with Adam's curse is that it still holds true, generally speaking. Men still work by the sweat of their brow. It's just usually, with a lot of men at least, um, that sweat isn't necessarily actual sweat from exertion. Sometimes it's stress. And I'd say now in the modern world, in our technological world that rewards intelligence, sweat has become more characteristic of stress than it has become one, uh, a character of, of physical exertion. Now that it is also true that if you want to be in decent shape, decent mental shape, you have to stay in physical shape and then you got to sweat anyway. You know, so there's a certain reality of sweat being necessary for you to survive, um, that those who don't sweat will sweat eventually, or, you know, and everybody's going to die. But the idea that work will be difficult has not left this uh, reality. The fact that we'd have to struggle against nature to go to work remains true. I mean, think of, think of the, the cost in terms of net uh, environmental impact of our roadways, of our vehicles, 
You know, how much mining do we have to do to produce the raw materials to go into all of our vehicles? And how much nature do we have to pave over and lose contact with to have these sprawling metropolitan areas? Um, there is a certain uh, sadness to our loss of nature that we should recognize. And now on woman's side, right, on woman's side, we've got pain in childbirth, which remains, right? It's, it's something that, you know, no, no amount of drugs is really going to stop you because you still got to be able to deliver the kid. And um, so that, that remains and is, is still uh, a very difficult thing. We've managed to reduce the mortality rate, which is good, but the pain remains. And then, um, and then there's the desire for your husband part. And this is where I'm going to start getting political, right? Um, and don't, don't worry. It's not, I don't think this is going where you think this is going. So bear with me. Um, we live in an egalitarian society, a very liberal society that believes in general equality. And what do we mean by that? We believe that all men are created equal and not just all men, but all humans, that all people have some baseline level of equality. And as such, uh, we, we tend to forget hierarchy or frown upon it at least. That we think because people have some inherent equality that the idea of there being order or hierarchies found within uh, creation isn't necessarily good. One of the things this has led us to do is, is to think that men and women should be equal in some ways. Right, and I'm thinking culturally right now. But think about, you know, I'd, I'd ask you know you listener to to think about the way in which you think that men and women are are similar in which they might not be. Um, but culturally, we we tend to be have we have tended to become the, uh, a culture that thinks you know, we need this broad level of representational equality, which is of course absurd. I mean, the idea that. Not only would men and women be good at the same things, but want to do the same things with their lives is, is so utterly ridiculous. I mean, if you look at, you know, two groups of men with, with differences in, in physical expressions, physical nature, they're going to be interested and capable in doing two different things. And if you look at the distinction between men and women, physically, it's significantly greater. Why would we expect, therefore, that men and women would be doing the same things? That's absurd. Um... The, the part of what's made it easier to live in this egalitarian society is that we have devalued the physical work of men, the physical value of men. Um, that male strength is no longer as important a commodity as it used to be. I mean, it used to be that if you weren't strong, you were kind of stuck. You, had, you could be a professor and go into uh, the intelligentsia. But a lot of, like most of human history, work has been some sort of physical work. You know, even even if you were, say, a cobbler, right, you were working with your hands, but you were still working. And that wasn't necessarily, I mean, the smart cobbler would probably get good business, but he's still a cobbler. The modern world, in its all of its technological grandeur, has made it such that very smart people who may not have physical um, characteristics uh, of strength are able to be very successful. Very um, charismatic people are also able to be successful. Um, this is a this is the fundamental difference I would argue between the the modern and the postmodern world. That the modern world was the world where physical strength became less important. Right, you had an assembly line. Right, so so the amount of work you could put in was multiplied. 
the postmodern world is the one where the amount of physical work that you actually need to do is is becoming more and more irrelevant, right? And what is it that the intelligentsia now seek to do? Self-driving cars, drones, right? There is a move in the intelligentsia to remove the need for fallible human strength. And might I add to this, right? Fallible male strength. And to remove that from the chain of, of processes in, in creating products. Why? Because they, they want the world to work within their realm of understanding, right? Men of intelligence have for the first time in, you know, or one of the first times in history, gained significant leverage over the means of production. And they have changed it in their favor. And, and one of the things that that has come with, I would, th- I would argue, is the shift in, in gender politics. Why is that? Because if you want to lean things against a, an overexpression of the physical realm, right? If you want to bias things against doing things manually, you should bring in more people who don't want to do things manually, right? So if you wanted to market a product, right? If you want to market a product that does something for you, like, you know, lifts a box, right? Let's say I have just an automatic box lifter. Like you put it on the floor and it lifts up a box. Well, I'm not going to need to do that for somebody who can physically lift a box and who doesn't really think that that's relatively important. Um, you know, in Japan, they actually have this for their aging population, where they have they wear exoskeletons now to a, of a certain you know rough exoskeletons, but they they wear these these support systems so they can carry more weight. Uh, but the thing is, one, if the weight that you're carrying isn't that bad, generally you won't need that product. And two, if you can carry the weight anyway and, and it builds your strength, you're going to do it. You know, I I worked out at a concert venue several summers and, you know, we're tossing beer uh, cases around, we're tossing water cases around, like a full, you know, 32 water bottle. You're tossing that to somebody else like it's nothing because you got to, because you got a lot of work to do, you know, and you got to fit in this area. You got to get that done. You just got to muscle it up and do the work. But if I can make a product that does that work for you, it's going to be more expensive than, than you are, generally speaking. Right? I can replace you. But the problem is that well, it takes a lot of resources. But if I can find another person, if I can find enough people, enough other people who could use my product and, and make a sufficient demand to replace you, you're out of the picture. You know, If I can bring in enough other people into the economy who have different skill sets or who need access to my product or who, who want it, then I can suddenly sh- and slowly shift the market in my favor. Um, and I do think this is something of what's what's gone on in a subtler way. It hasn't been a deliberate action by anyone, I don't think. Um, but I do think that as our economy has shifted towards one that, that supports uh, psychologically healthy, uh, mentally healthy, mentally strong, and charismatic individuals— we have benefited from taking into that pool women who fit that those categories, and I would I would argue that, and I think I have statistics uh, that could back this up if you you know if if I bothered to look, um, that women tend to have more competitiveness when it comes to charisma, 
and uh, intelligence than they do in terms of strength. The strength gap between the sexes is, I would argue, significantly greater than the intelligence gap. And what this has done is it has shifted, it has shifted the, the dynamics towards more equity, towards more equality, um, where we now think of one another as more equal because the world we live in has equalized in the ways that we used to be different self-evidently. That the need to go and and live on your own in the wild in the wilderness uh, isn't there, and the ability to go and live on your own in the wilderness, frankly, isn't there. Right? We're overregulated. You just can't do it. Sorry, sorry, Bucko, you're not gonna you're not gonna survive on your own. Um, and so because because we ha- live in a world that demands and incentivizes cooperation, um, simplification generalization because we have that type of world men and women have become equal in a lot of ways that we're not used to and i think that that men saw this coming a while ago i i do i do and i think that as you see things become more equal throughout the last few hundred years you see men react in in instinctual ways the first potential movement was was honestly i think the the move out west right men went west to to escape the creeping civilization in the east coast right this is the, the great expansion that we had as a nation in america um, people started leaving civilization to go out and make something of themselves to seek the great wild and we had immigration coming into this country where men could come from around the world with their families and go try and do that make something of themselves. And and there's responsibility involved with conquering the wilderness. You are not only responsible for yourself, though, you, you, you're responsible to find other men and build something new. And there's great adventure in that, and we love it. Um, and so I think, you know, that was that was one thing. But then but then when that got conquered, what do you do? Well, we, we went to war. We went to war with one another, finally. Um, we didn't want to, but we did. And we had the two most brutal wars in history. Um, and then it interfaced in between them, it sandwiched in between them. Uh, you had this moment in the 20s of just ridiculous good living, licentiousness, and uh, gambling on the stock market, right? Well, I'll make money. That'll do it. That'll give me that outlet. That'll give me something to do, something to set myself apart. Um, and then it all fell apart. And then in the, the 50s and 60s, you had a generation that had just come back from war, and so they were pretty satisfied. They, they got their respect. Um, but then we got the hippies, right? And I, I don't think that they were— I'm coming to believe that a lot of what happened in there was, was not— it's not that it was preventable per se, but that it was a natural conclusion of, or natural expansion of what was before it. Right, we had an in- increasing amount of egalitarian uh, living. We were expanding industrially, and so you had this desire to move back to nature. You had this desire to to move back into um, a more traditional way of life um, in their minds, right? And combined with anti-authoritarianism, because well, frankly, the authorities had gotten too big. So I don't blame them. I mean, look at all the things that FDR did, the, the expansion of the government. We, sh- we should look at the hippies and be like, yeah, you were right. You were right. Drugs should have been legal. There was nothing to make them illegal. Sorry, guys. Yeah, they, they have an argument. 
and they've won too. But but then th- there's something tied in with that, the free love. And I think the, the sexual the sexual revolution was was devastating because it it was natural. It was natural given the way we had tr- begun to treat one another and the way we had begun to think about one another. And I think what men, I th- and this is, this is, I guess, the contention that will lead forward into the, the, the bits that I, I the conclusions I'm going to draw. Men rebelled in the sexual revolution and began to live licentiously because women had finally gotten equal to them in their ability to remove the consequences of sex, right? Men, men have always been able to run away. Men have always been able to get off scot-free, um, in theory, right? To go to a, a brothel and feel no remorse, right? I mean, they should feel remorse, yes, and that's bad. But, but men don't have to bear kids, right? You, you, they sowed their wild oats. And so what needed to happen? You needed a social structure that could ensure that when somebody went and did that, they, they suffered the consequences. But now we've introduced a few different points. One, divorce. Which means even those men who had been tied to this relationship were free now. Second, you had the uh, the pill, the birth control pill. Suddenly, a woman had a chemical way of getting out of pregnancy, of preventing it even, right? So now she could do the same thing that a man could do, in theory, in theory, right? Your desire will be for your husband. That that. That's there, and I think that's a fundamental psychological drive in women. I don't know for sure, but I, I, I would hasten to believe it is given what I've seen in history. And so what did men do? Men overreacted. Men far overreacted, and they, they took that liberty to be freedom. They took that, that uncontrolled and now consequence-free, generally consequence-free sex, and they said, well, how do I do this? as a masculine thing that I think it ought to be, um, and yet set myself apart from women. And the only thing that I think that they could do then was to well, be totally irresponsible, absolutely irresponsible and, and abandoned and, and cruel even, to be crooks, to, to, to be hooligans, to, to go and, and do what was wrong for the, for the pure joy of being in their own world and in control of their own spaces, right? To, to fight against order for the pure adrenaline of knowing that you're doing something that only you could do. To, to, to prove that you were a man. Because no longer could you look at anything else, right? If you got married, well, there are a lot of men now who aren't married. Why? Because they got divorced, because their wives divorced them, or, or they divorced their wives because they, they wanted to be rid of them, right? So suddenly, that's not, that's not a sign of you are a man. Oh, I went to college. I got a college degree. That's a, I can look. No, not anymore because we need, we're, we're letting women into the schools now. So your college degree, you can't look at that and say, look at this. I did this. I am a man now. Your physical labor, your ability to exert. No, because physical labor isn't really a sign of a educated or even a successful man. Your physical strength, well, who cares about that? Nobody really. I mean, it might get you some good women, but ultimately that's not going to get you anywhere. Or, well, maybe that's the best you've got. And so what you get is a generation of young men who think that the only way to prove they're a man is to have sex with a bunch of girls to prove that they can get a bunch of girls because that's the only thing that they have. That's the only thing that they have to, to think of themselves as separate. And I don't think that's women's fault. 
I don't think that's women's fault for for having these things happen, for having a an increasingly technological society that made life easier, for having the introduction of no uh, of divorce as a as a commonplace thing in American law, the introduction of abortion, the introduction of the birth control pill. I don't blame women for these. I don't. Because frankly, men men are responsible for it. Right? And this is the this this, this is my big argument. Honestly, this is this is what I've been thinking about. Right? Oftentimes when I have thought about the problem with the distinction in the, uh, of the sexes, I've thought, well, wouldn't it just be great if women would just if they would just leave us alone, right? If we could just have some male spaces that women wouldn't invade. You know, if we could just have our voting spaces and then we'll vote and we'll be men and voting. And that would be awesome because then I'd have a, a space to be a man with my bros, right? To have a masculine space. Women can always have their women, their feminine space, right? That's the thing. You can have it. And this is, you know, I, I still believe this. I used to and I still do. You can have it. Why? Because you'll enforce it. Because you'll enforce a feminine-only space, either passively or aggressively, you know, either by, you know, making some inherent boundary that men won't cross or by just having a girls a girls only thing event and 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 men don't do that and maybe we should maybe it's our fault and i i do wonder if part of the problem is that you had men who were leaders and 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 good strong fathers and loyal uh, members of the community and pillars of the community who were lost in the great wars um or lost in any of the great conflicts of the 20th century and that the men who came out of that who survived didn't have the kind of leadership structure didn't have the kind of hierarchy that they were expecting that the men who came out of that were not the men who were always the the boldest and the bravest because a lot of the time those guys would die on the beaches of Normandy or Iwo Jima or the fields of Verdun and so because the good men died to keep the people free, the men who survived, while still good men and still honorable men, didn't have those brothers around them to guide them, to help them, to lead them, to, to help them build a new world, to keep the structures that were necessary for the survival of civilization. I think that what happened in the 20th century and what is happening today is that men have abandoned our responsibility to create structures of hierarchy within male spaces. I mean, the first challenge is going to be you have to create male spaces, right? And I do think that is our responsibility. It's not, it's not women's responsibility to leave spaces. I'm sorry. They're not going to do it. They, they have no reason not to. We, you know, it's not our spaces anymore. Right. If women are involved in it, it's a public space. It is an open space. It is an integrated space. If you want your own space, build it anew, and and be sexist, guys. Be sexist. Have some have some decency. Maybe it's not for you. All right. Maybe it's not for for you men particularly, because you don't need it. Well, fine. Maybe you don't. But there's a guy out there who does who doesn't have a positive role model in his life, or maybe the positive role model in his life isn't available. He needs you. He needs you to be a man, to show him how to be a man, how to be strong, to show him what to do in the modern world, to, to help him, to show him an example, 
to give him an environment where he feels like he can trust you because he knows where you are in the hierarchy. Because that's what happens in a male-only space is you do develop a hierarchy, and it is good because that's what we're good at. We're good at organizing things. We're naturally good at that. You know, and you can argue with me on this point, but on whether or not male-only spaces are good, you can't win that fight. Because at the very least, there are some that are ordained by God, and those are good. So, so they can be good, and I would argue that they are. there is a certain characteristic to male-only spaces that is in and of itself good for men. Is that to say that all spaces should be? No. Is that to say the economic spaces should all be? No. Is that to say that we should fundamentally segregate at a, at a civilizational level? No. Don't, don't overreact to what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is build something. Build something not just for you, but for your neighbor. For the, the poor young dad who just needs a space to vent a little bit. To have somebody to drink with. To go out and feel like he can just be frustrated with the world. Do it for him. And if there's women who want to get involved, say, sorry, honey, you can't. It's a guy's thing. If your mother gets worried about you because you're doing something weird in college, say, sorry, mom, I'm, I'm growing up. I got to go do something, right? And, and she'll keep worrying about you. Now, if you go do something too stupid, right, she'll worry about you rightly. And she is, your author- she is an authority over you. But you do have to grow up someday. You have to grow up, and, and that's important. If you've got good friends who are girls, and you're like, oh, well, she, she gets it. Sorry, no. Cut yourself off for a little while in a few spaces. Have some decency, man. Not for your sake and not for hers, but for your brother's sake. It's the same thing with class, right? Who has the responsibility in the class divide? Is it the people who are on the lower class who are struggling paycheck to paycheck to pay the bills, or is it the people who, who aren't struggling who are living in their secluded environments, right? Who has the responsibility to fix this, to make to make an effort to integrate, right? It's it's not the people who can't afford to integrate in the rich society because they, they can't afford it. But you can afford to go down. You can go afford to go to a local bar at, or go to a sports game or a video game bar or, or to, to find a space where there's just normal folk and interact with them, right? Go to your local Waffle House. Buy a cheeseburger, even if it's unhealthy. Go, go do something with, with people who aren't like you in that regard, right? Go, go, go step across. Why? Because they're, because they're at a different level than you. Because maybe they can't, don't have the freedom to, to interact across classes with you. And you do if you're in the upper class. And if you're not in the upper class, reach out to somebody. Ask for help. See if you can find somebody who's in that weird other American, developing American upper class. But we have to, you know, we have to work together, yes. We have to work together. And, and to a certain extent, women have to be co- content not invading male spaces. But I don't think they want to. I mean, okay, I think there is a fundamental impulse to overcome the curse. I do. And that's one of the reasons I brought it up. I do believe that men, too, have a fundamental impulse, though, to overcome our curse. That we don't want to sweat. We don't want to work hard. We want to sit back and be happy as we automate everything away and we live in our wonderful, cushy little lives. Well, I'm sorry, but they will collapse on us if we do that. Because at the very least, what we are doing is we are creating an unsustainable society. And in an unsustainable society, we will not be able to reap the fruit of our hard work. We will not be able to reap the leisure that comes from investing in labor-saving devices. 
because the society will collapse. And everybody loves to talk about the fall of Rome. And I think we love to talk about the fall of Rome because it gives us an accurate picture of what happens when society collapses. Things get awful. Things just get worse. Now, they don't happen all at once. And there's a slow decaying period before the collapse. But the the strength of the communities only came back when times got hard enough that men had to bond together to build new societies. So what my call here is, what my call to action, what, what, what's the thing here, right? What am I saying? I'm saying if we do not, as men, come together to build something new, something for us, something that only we do, and it's not going to be built based around exercise necessarily. It's not going to be based around physical strength or intelligence. Heck, I think it would probably be easiest to build it around the word. But we have to build it, and we have to build it for us. And the women will come. They always do. They always do. Wherever we go, wherever we lead, they will follow. Wherever men build something stable and secure, women will follow to domesticate them. Not to civilize them, but to domesticate them. Because it is the combination of men that builds a civilization, but it is the addition of women that makes home and family possible. Without the former, there is no infrastructure to support life. Without the latter, there is no infrastructure there to sustain it. And so the two must work in harmony. But what we have right now is a world where both are thrown into chaos, and I don't think that it's worthwhile blaming the feminists anymore. Because they only went where we led. They only went where men made it possible to go. The feminists only took ground where men were willing to give it. And consequently... I think it is our responsibility to take it back, to make a new space for us, to build a new civilization based on something new, or ideally, I would argue, something old, something we have abandoned, something so old that it can't actually escape us if we, if we build on that, that we know, we know if we build ourselves on that, it will survive the collapse even. That's what we need to do. That is the responsible thing to do. That is the strong thing to do. That's the independent thing to do. That's, that, is, that is what you should do. And if you disagree with me, take it up with me. And if you don't, join me. I seek to do this. And I hope that my voice will continue to help in the progression of that. I hope that my actions as I go forward will build towards that new world, the new old world. And so I ask you, my brothers, to join me. It's not going to be easy. But if it was going to be easy, would you really want to do it at all?